um, after the service. Again, thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for being patient with us. Thanks for making this adjustment over the next couple of weeks. If you see a guy by the name of Jeremy from the Hilton, make sure that you say thank you so much for all the work that he's put in for us today. So when you see Jeremy in the hallway, tell him thank you from Covenant Church for all the work that he's done. My name is Andy Langdon, one of the pastors here. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning is where we'll be at. Finishing up Matthew chapter 6 this morning, looking at verses 25 through 34 as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew and to see what God has for us in the book of Matthew. Um, As the Holy Spirit is leading Matthew to to write these things down and to share with us um, what um, God has for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick this morning before we jump in. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for even the song that we just sang, that you will never fail us. We thank you that your word will never fail us, that what it sends out, what you send it out to do, it accomplishes. And so we thank you. And on that truth, on that reality, on that confidence, we stand this morning as we jump into your word. Give us eyes to see. Change our lives, Lord, into more and more into the likeness of your son. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called The Sandlot. Anybody seen The Sandlot before? Back in the 90s, about a new kid that moves to town without friends, finds friends who love the game of baseball, jumps into that not knowing anything really about baseball, about how to play the game, about what the rules are, has never really played before, but is desperate for friends in this town. And there's a scene in this movie where they're playing the game and someone hits a home run. And normally everybody is very happy that they hit a home run. But if you're kids in the middle of the summer, you only have limited resources. So they only had limited baseballs to play with. And so when the kid hit the home run, their baseballs were done. Their game was done for the day. Except the new kid remembered in his house on his father's mantle was a baseball. And he knew if he could get that baseball, he knew that he would be in good with these friends. And so he runs home very quickly, grabs the baseball, come, they play as if nothing is going on, have a great time playing again. And yet again, another home run goes over the fence into the backyard of a guy who's very mean, has a very mean dog that they don't want to go in and get until they find out that this baseball was different than the normal baseballs that they had. Because there was writing on this particular baseball. And on this particular baseball, was not just any writing. According to this kid, it was some guy named Baby Ruth had signed this baseball that had now been lost over the fence and had been chewed upon by this dog. Well, they come to find out his friends are extremely angry that they had grabbed this ball in the first place, signed not by Baby Ruth, but by Babe Ruth, one of the greatest baseball players ever to have lived. And they do the rest of the movie, all the hijinks of trying to get this baseball back. The reason I share this story is because in that moment, that boy had no idea what he was in possession of, no idea of the value that was given to him, the value that he took off of his father's mantle, the value to just be playing around with this ball that was worth so much. And what I want to share with you this morning from Matthew chapter 6 is I think that as followers of Jesus, I don't think we begin to comprehend the value, the bigness of all that the Father has given to us. We can't even begin to wrap our brains around all the things that God has given to us. And because we can't quite comprehend that, because we don't quite grasp all that is given to us, we are often tempted to grasp onto lesser things. 
And when we grasp onto lesser things, we find out that those lesser things can't really satisfy us, can't really help us. And so what is the result of that is our anxiety begins to rise because we think we're not going to be provided for or cared for. And so this morning, what I want to see in Matthew chapter 6 is, do we understand, do we recognize all that we have in the Father, all that Christ has secured for us? Do we see that to be able to live life in a way that is freeing, in a way that is confident and bold and trusting everything to the Father? Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, Matthew chapter 6 Starting in verse 25, Matthew writes these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says this. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What will you put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all those things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." This passage of scripture is probably very familiar to a lot of us before. We've gone to this over and over again. We've prayed through this. We've held on to this and maybe some of our darkest times of life of not being anxious and trusting God to walk us through the difficult times in our life. So in many ways, I'm not giving you anything new this morning, which I'm thankful for, that I don't have to create something new at all this morning. But what I want us to see in this passage of scripture, what we see over and over again is this call of Jesus to not be anxious. Over and over again. And so what I think it's responding to, and I love the heart of Jesus, is he recognizes his people. If you remember from last week, the passage from last week, was Jesus was saying, don't put treasures in this world. Put treasures in the next world. Put heavenly treasures there. Focus your attention there. Put your hope there. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And because Jesus knows us and cares about us, He knows that when we hear store up treasures in heaven, our natural response is, that's all well and good, but I still need to eat. That's all well and good, but I still need clothing. I get you, Jesus. I see what you're saying. It's more important. It's more valuable. It's eternal. I need to place my face there, but I need to wake up tomorrow and know that there's going to be food on the table. I need to know that if I'm going to put my trust there, if I'm going to store up treasures in heaven, that I'll still be able to function in this earth, that I can still trust you. In Jesus, I think in response to not anything communicated, but the, the things that are rising in our heart, follows up that passage immediately with, don't worry about it. I will provide for you. 
I see your heart. I see the anxiety rising in you. I see this idea of if I store stuff up there, I'm going to be hungry here. Jesus then takes the time to say, don't worry about it. I've got it. I've got you. I'm watching over you. This morning, what we'll see is one of the biggest causes of anxiety in our lives is not trusting that God cares about us or that God can actually help us. Anxiety washes over us when we're too focused on our circumstances and our strength to do something about them. And in this passage, Jesus wants to remind us of the Father's care and love for his children to to bring peace to our hearts and to our lives. And what I don't want you to hear this morning at all, maybe you are, and maybe you've read this before, and maybe in these kinds of conversations with Jesus, you feel a little maybe condemned by Jesus, a little guilt-ridden, right? Because multiple times in this, he says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. You even hear him say, oh, you of little faith. And if you read it kind of that way, it feels a little harsh, doesn't it? Because let's be honest, the last thing you want to hear when you're anxious is stop it, right? That's not going to help your anxiety whatsoever. And it feels like on the surface, at least, especially if we're already feeling anxiety, that Jesus is just simply saying, stop it. You have little faith, knock it off. But that's not the heart of Jesus. That's not what he's doing here this morning. What we see in this passage of scripture is the care and the kindness and the compassion of Jesus to know that we live in a world that is full of reasons to be anxious. That we live in a world that it's easy for us to be overwhelmed with anxieties. And in his kindness, knowing us steps into that to show us the strength that we can have to walk through the anxieties. This morning, I just have two points for us. I want us to look at two things about the Father. I want to look first at the trustworthiness of the Father, how we can trust him. And then I want to look at the treasures that we have in the Father. The trustworthiness of the Father and the treasures that we have in the Father. Let's look first at number one, the trustworthiness of the Father. The trustworthiness of the Father. And so one of the ways that we see anxiety being pushed aside is the more that we focus on God, the more that we see what he has done for us, the more that we see that he understands us, the more that we see he wants to provide for us, the less tempting the anxiety is the less tempting it is to look on our own strength. And the trustworthiness of the Father, what do we see first? We see that the Father knows the dangers we face. He knows the dangers we face. Look with me in verse 25. The beginning of this passage, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then in verse 31, he basically repeats the same thing again. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? You see, Jesus knows the dangers we face. He knows the reality of the anxiety that wants to overwhelm us at times. He knows the temptation that we have about being anxious. Jesus knows that, and he cares about us. He knows that the danger that anxiety has in our life. He knows the, the problems that comes with that, the stress that comes with that, the weariness that comes with that, the guilt that comes with that, the shame that wants with, comes with that. And so Jesus is saying, do not be anxious, not because he wants to condemn us, but he wants to gently warn us that there's something better than anxiety. 
There's something better than being overwhelmed with your circumstances. There's something that their father is providing for you away from that danger. You see, what anxiety actually assumes is the very worst, doesn't it? Anxiety assumes the worst not only about our future, but anxiety assumes the worst about our father. Anxiety assumes that our circumstances won't and can't change, and in fact, they'll probably get worse, and that in the future, when our problems get worse, God will not be there, or God will be there, and he will not care about the things that we're going through. And when those thoughts circle in our brain, anxiety begins to rise. We forget who God is, and we forget what God has done, and we forget what he has provided for us, and we're focused on our circumstances. We assume the very worst about what is to come. Anxiety rises. Anxiety, at the end of the day, denies the wisdom and the power and the love of God. Anxiety, at its very core, is idolatry. Let's be honest about it. Anxiety, we have anxiety in ourselves because at the end of the day, if I'm honest with myself— I have set myself up as God. I'm looking at myself as God, and I'm saying to myself, I'm not big enough or strong enough to do anything about these circumstances. I'm not able to fix this. I'm not able to do anything about this. So see that Jesus in this pastor's scripture knows the dangers we face. We know that we live, he knows that we live in a fallen world that is full of all kinds of brokenness, that we are tempted and overwhelmed to be anxious at all times. And he's warning us of the dangers of that because he cares deeply for us. He even warns us in verse 27. Jesus said, And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Jesus is warning us there, not only is, the, is being anxious fruitless, it's actually harmful. It's not this kind of neutral kind of thing that if I'm anxious, nothing positive comes from it. And so it's just this neutral thing. I think Jesus is warning us here, not only is it negative in my, or not only does it negative in my, or there's no positive in my life, there's a negative aspect to that. Like we all know that. We all know the studies. Physically, anxiety wears us out. Physically, anxiety produces sickness in our lives. Physically, it is detrimental to our health. Emotionally, we are scared, we're afraid, we withdraw, we're angry when anxiety comes into our lives. Jesus is warning us here that in our anxiety that nothing is going to be added. We're not going to prove anything or change anything through our anxiety. But I think some of us are counting on, are banking on, if I'm more anxious about this, if I worry more about this, then something can be changed. That my level of worry can coincides with my level of being ab- uh, the ability to change. But Jesus is warning here, it doesn't produce that for us. Our anxiety is not bringing out healthiness. It's not bringing out help in us. It's actually driving us away from God. And Jesus knows the dangers of being away from God. He says in verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anxiety by definition is looking at tomorrow and borrowing tomorrow's trouble for today. You're pulling future trouble into your present circumstances. That's what anxiety is. And Jesus is warning of the danger of looking to the future 
assuming the worst, assuming that God isn't there, and then bringing that fear and that shame and that guilt right into your circumstances today. Jesus is saying, you've got enough things on your plate for today to be concerned about. There's enough things in front of you today that you need to entrust to the Lord than looking to the future, looking way out in front and grabbing that and pulling that forward. Again, Jesus cares about us. He knows the danger that we face. We serve a Savior. We serve a God who knows us and cares about us and warns us and knows the detriment that anxiety and worry has on our life. Not only does the Father know our dangers that we face, he also knows our value. He knows our value. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. Is not life more than food, Jesus says, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Look with me in 28 to 30. And it says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Those two little phrases there in verse 26 and verse 30, you have more value. Look again in verse 30. Will he not much more clothe you? Jesus, the Father in his infinite wisdom, the Father in his infinite care, the Father in his infinite creation, knows all that is happening in his creation. When a bird rises, when a bird falls, when a bird is hungry, when the flowers rise, when the flowers wither away, God knows, the Father knows and cares about the most minute detail of our creation and cares to provide for them, to care for them, to watch over them, to protect them. And in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is saying about the Father, you see the care that he places on his creation. And you are the crown of his creation. You are the most valuable thing in his creation. Far and above the trees and the birds and the flowers, you are of much greater value than all of those things. This week, I've been um, helping out with LifeWise over the last couple of weeks. It's another way for us as a church to get into our community. Kids come out of school for an hour and hear Bible stories. And this week was the second story about creation, about God creating man. The first week was the first five days and God creating things out of nothing and the birds and the rivers and the flowers and all of those things. And this week's lesson was about God creating man in the uniqueness and the care that God takes to create man. But God was creating man in his own image to, to care for him and protect him and provide for him the love that he's shown him. And Jesus is reminding us in this of the care that the Father has for us. When anxiety rises, we misunderstand and we mistrust God's view of us. At the end of the day, we kind of say, well, God, I'm just a throwaway. I'm just one of almost 8 billion. I'm just one of billions of people on your planet. You can't possibly care for me. You can't possibly give me the kind of devotion and attention that I feel like I'm requiring in the middle of this circumstance. But the reality is the quite opposite of that. In a way that I can't even begin to understand, God the Father knows you intimately. 
And he cares deeply about what you're walking through. He knows your heart. He knows your emotions. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows your experiences. He knows them all, and he cares deeply about them. And so if God, who cares so great about his plants and about his birds to provide and to watch over them, how much more will he not care about what you're walking through? How much more will he want to provide for what you're walking through on this? You are of much greater value than anything you can see in creation because God cares for you. Psalm 8, verse 3 to 5, it says this very thing. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. This is who you are by design of the Father. And so don't think for a second that your Father doesn't care about what you're walking through. That your circumstances, that your hurt, that your needs are too small and insignificant for the Father to worry about. You have greater value than you can ever imagine. Not only does he come to us and knows the dangers and knows our value, but number three here, he knows and provides for what we need. He warns us of the danger. He shows us of the value that he has placed on us, and he knows everything we need and desires to provide for that. Look at verse 32 with me. It says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What Jesus is saying here, listen, is we, we know, the world knows this is what we need. The world knows I have needs, I need food, I need clothing, I need all of those things. God knows that everybody needs those things. And God is providing for all of those things. And to see in this passage, your Father knows that you need them all. Again, I think we get into this place of, I don't think God cares about what I'm walking through. I don't think God quite understands the depth of my need, the depth of my pain, that I I need something more than what God can give to me. But God knows and provides for what you need. If God provides for the flowers and the birds, and you have greater value than them, how much more will he provide for us? The Father knows what you need. Look with me in Psalm 84, verse 11 and 12. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. In verse 80, or chapter 84 and verse 11 again, that phrase, no good thing does he withhold. This is the Father's care for us. This is his love for us. This is his provision for us. No good thing does he withhold. What you need, the Father provides. What is good for you and brings glory to his name, the Father provides. No good thing does the Father withhold from you. And I think for some of us this morning, our anxiety is rooted in the fact that we feel like God has forgotten us. We feel like God does not, does not care about us, that he's set us aside for some reason, or that he's not able to provide for us. But I want us to remind ourselves again and again and again that God knows your circumstances. He knows what you're walking through, and he will provide everything you need. If he provides for the birds and the flowers, he will provide for me. You see, help for anxiety is found in a couple of different things. One is found in removing something 
but it's also found that once you remove something to replace it with something else. We remove doubt. We remove the lies. We remove self-focus and self-sufficiency, and we replace those things with faith, with trust, replacing them with God-centered worship. We see that all that God has done for us, all the ways that he wants to provide for us, all the ways that he wants to show us that he's trustworthy. I know your dangers. I know your struggles. I know the temptations that you're there. I want to provide for you in all of those things. I know that you think less of yourself at times. I know that you don't think you're valuable or meaningful, that I care about you, but I do. I really do care deeply about you. I know at times you think I won't provide for you or that, that you're lost in this world, but you're not. I care for you and will provide for you. Those are the truths of who God is and shows us that he's trustworthy in all things. And when we see God as trustworthy in all things, we will treasure him. That's point number two this morning is we're treasuring our father. We're treasuring our father is a worshipful response to who he is and how he's revealed himself. If I believe that God is trustworthy, if God has shown himself to be trustworthy, I will treasure him. And treasure him more and more. And when I treasure God more and more, my anxiety seems to get less and less. Because I'm focused on him and worship of him than on myself and on my circumstances. So how do we treasure our father? Well, first, we take notice of what God has already done. We take notice of what God has already done. What does Jesus do in this passage when he's trying to show his people of the trustworthiness of the, of the Father. In verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. And then in verse 28, he says, consider the lilies of the field. What Jesus is doing here in the midst of their anxiety, when it's rising up in them, to think for a second, God, I want to focus on heavenly things, but I don't know that you'll provide for me. Jesus says, take a beat, look around, and see all the ways that God is already providing, all the ways he has already shown his faithfulness, all the way he has proved himself true over and over and over again. The birds every day wake up and are fed. The flowers rise in the spring and are beautiful beyond measure every single spring. God's faithfulness is shown over and over again. But the problem is, in our rushed in hectic world, we don't take time to smell the roses or the lilies in this case. We don't take time to consider and to look at all that God has done. Instead of sitting and pondering and thinking and beholding and observing all that God has done and is doing, we center on our anxiety. We center on our circumstances and we tend to spend time spinning our wheels, getting more worried and more anxious, focusing on our circumstances instead of sitting and pondering and remembering all that God has already done. All the ways he has helped us, all the ways he has provided for us. What we see in the life of Jesus is this very thing. Jesus was never rushed. He was never hectic in his life. Jesus and all of the demands that were placed on him and all of the ways that people were quite literally tugging on him left and right. Jesus always took time to look and to consider. Always took time to sit and to see what the Father was doing. Always looking to see where the Father was leading. Always asking the question, Father, what do you want me to do next? In all of Jesus' time, he was focused on the Father. What does that look like for us? 
What does that look like in our hectic world? What does it look like in our stressed world? What does it look like when we look at our calendar and it's full of all kinds of different things? What does it look like for us to legitimately, intentionally stop and smell the roses? Stop and say, God, what have you done? How have you already provided for me? How have you shown yourself faithful in my life? The ways that we kind of look to, look to the future and know that the future will be okay, one of the main ways we do that is look to yesterday, is to look to the past. And we see how God has constantly provided for us again and again and again and again. And we'll see in that not focus on our anxiety, but focused on what God has provided for us. Corey Ten Boom wrote this. She was a little girl in Germany hiding in walls from those who were coming to destroy her. She says this. She says, look around and be distressed. Look inside and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. You can imagine the woman being hunted by Nazis saying, my rest is found not in the walls around me, not in the hiddenness of my family, but in Jesus who will protect me. In the middle of that, in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our fear, our temptation is to stare at our circumstances and to get overwhelmed by them. Or our temptation is to look at ourselves and to say, what can I do about these hard circumstances? And neither one of those will be fruitful for us. Our gaze needs to be on God and what he has done and on the Father, on the ways that he has provided for us. Take notice of what God has already done. Maybe some of us need to put into our schedule intentional, quiet, pondering, considering time where I just sit and look and list all the ways that God has provided for me. And when we're focused on what God has accomplished, we'll see that our anxiety gets better and better. What else do we do when we treasure in our Father? Not only do we take notice in it, but we ask for faith to trust. Because to be honest, at the end of the day, it does no good for me to come up here and say, stop being anxious, rest. Stop being anxious, stop worrying, do what Jesus did, knock it off, have a great day. It does no good in that. And even in this, as Jesus is saying, don't be anxious. The Father has done this. The Father has provided this who the Father is. What do I need to connect with that? I need faith to believe that. I need the faith to trust that God can actually do what he says he's going to do. He can actually provide, that he actually cares for me in the way that he does. And so my response to anxiety is to look at the Father and say, I need help. I need faith. I need whatever it's going to take to trust that you're in my circumstances, that you care about what I'm, what I'm walking through. In verse 30, he says this phrase, we see it Many times from Jesus, we see this phrase looking at his people and saying, oh, you of little faith. And I don't think for a second that Jesus was saying that to condemn the crowds, to say, you dum-dums, how could you do something like that? How could you fail me like this? Your lack of faith is astonishing to me. Well, how in the, how in the world could you be, call yourself followers of me with such little faith that you're having? What Jesus is doing in his grace and his mercy is helping his people to recognize their need so they will come to him to have that need overwhelmingly fulfilled. What Jesus is doing is not condemning them, but calling them closer calling them to draw near to him, calling them to say, you don't have because you don't ask. Ask and I will give it to you abundantly. This is not a condemnation. This is a call to draw near. 
And this is the response that I think Jesus is calling for when anxiety begins to rise in our hearts, that our our gut reaction, our knee-jerk reaction to anxiety is to look to the Father and ask for help. You say, I need help in the middle of this. I've been starting, I'm going to tell you guys a deep secret of mine that's embarrassing, but I'll tell you it anyways. I started exercising again, and the whole point of this is not to share about my exercising. It's how stupid I look while exercising. There's a particular exercise that I do where I'm raising my shoulders, and I can't help make a stupid face every time I do it. It's this. That's the face I make. And now how hard I try to not make that face, for whatever reason, my shoulder muscles and my face muscles are tied together that every time I lift my shoulders, my face goes up. And I think about that. I look ridiculous. I know I do. And the more I think about it, the dumber I look in that. But I just see that there's this connection between that particular exercise and my facial expression. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage of Scripture is he's longing for us to have that kind of response to anxiety in our lives. That when anxiety rises as his followers, we can't help but say, Father, I need you. When the temptation to to be anxious, when the temptation to fear rises in our hearts, Jesus is wanting his people to be so tied to the Father that no matter how hard we try not to ask for help, our reaction is going to be, Dad, I need your help. I see the anxiety rising in me. I need your help in this to call for faith. This is what Jesus is wanting for us. And so in this, don't read, oh, you of little faith as guilty or shame-ridden or condemning, but a call to intimacy, a call to closeness, a call to come near to Jesus in the midst of our anxiety. What does Jesus do when we come with him, with, uh, to him with our anxiety? He draws us closer in. He grabs a hold of us and says, come, dear child, come close to me. I see you're anxious. I want to drive that out of you. I want to show you my care. I want to show you my love. He doesn't stiff arm us. He doesn't say again. He doesn't say, you just came to me yesterday with the exact same anxiety. He says, come closer, my child. Come to me. I will give you everything you need to walk through the difficulties you find yourself in. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. We see and we notice what God has already done. We ask him for help to give us the faith that we need to trust. And finally, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We set aside worldly concern. We set aside the, the, the anxiety that is there and we replace it with seeking first the kingdom. Verse 34, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We seek first the kingdom of God. We've already talked about that in last week's passage of seeking heavenly treasures and putting our hearts where, where, where heaven is and eternal things and entrusting God. And we're seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness first. What we want to see in this passage is not that we seek God's kingdom as first in a list of other things. I don't think Jesus is saying that we have a list of 10 things and the top thing on your list is the kingdom of God and that everything else falls under that. What Jesus is saying here, and I believe what he's saying here, is that in all things, we give priority to the kingdom of God. 
In all things, there is a connection between the thing I'm walking through and the kingdom of God. So the question is, in my eating, how do I show that my kingdom is in heaven and not in this world? In my clothing, how am I demonstrating that my hope is in the kingdom and not in anything in this world? In my job, in my family, in my work, in my neighbors, in everything that I walk through in life. How am I demonstrating my understanding of that to the connection of the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is not saying food and clothing and where you live and all those things are useless and meaningless and, and just need to throw them aside. He's not saying that. What he's saying here, in all things, give kingdom priority. In everything you're doing, give kingdom priority. So, for example, today, for lunch, your lunch plans and what's next today, think to yourself, not that it's meaningless, not that it's dumb, not that it doesn't matter what you do for lunch or where you go for lunch or how that happens, but think to yourself, how is my lunch plans and what I'm eating and, and how much I'm eating and all of those things connected to the kingdom of God and his righteousness? How does my clothes in the morning, when I wake up and I think about what I'm wearing that day, when I think about where I'm going to go to work that day, when I think about a conversation that's coming to that day, when I'm going to the grocery store, how is the kingdom of God connected in all of those things? And Jesus says, when you're kingdom-minded in that way, when you're focused on that way, everything will be added to you. Everything you need will be given to you. You will look back and regularly see, oh, God gave me that. And God provided me for that. And this is what I wanted. Because in many ways, when our mind is kingdom-focused, our desires shift to kingdom-focused as well. I will want less earthly things. I will want less temporary things. I will want less things that I can get in my own strength. I will want more and more kingdom things. More and more those things that require faith. More and more those things that only God can provide for me. And God says in his generosity, I will give you those things. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. We see this passage that says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When we aim for the greater, we get the lesser too. When our aim is Jesus, when our aim is the Father, when our aim is eternal things, in God's graciousness, he gives us the temporary things as well. But if our aim is temporary, if our aim is ourself, not only will we maybe not get those temporary things, we will miss out on the bigger thing as well. We'll miss out on the eternal as well. We see that God wants to give us everything. The Father wants to provide everything for us. And so as the anxiety rises in your heart, as the fear rises in your heart, let's be honest, some of you this morning might just be riddled with it. Some of you this morning are walking into this just consumed with anxiety, consumed with worry about what is to come next. And Jesus' encouragement to you, my encouragement to you is not stop it, is not knock it off, is not don't do that. Christians aren't anxious. That's a bad thing. The response to that is to take our focus off of ourselves. They say, this is who the Father is. He doesn't want this for me because he knows the danger that it has in my life. God wants to graciously give me all things. God cares about me. God knows what I'm going through. God has placed value in what I'm walking through. 
God has done amazing things in my life. He has already provided me in miraculous ways in my life that I can trust him for this thing as well. That I can seek God's kingdom first and I can trust that if my focus is on heavenly things, if my treasure is on heavenly things, he will also provide all things for me. Do we recognize, in closing, do we recognize all that we have in God? Do we recognize the gift that the Father is to us, all that he has provided for us? The answer to that is no, we can't possibly. It's impossible for us to recognize the depth and the width and the breadth of all that the Father has given to us, of all that he has provided for us in Jesus and also to give us all things. But we can grow to know that more and more. We can grow to rest in that more and more. We can grow to understand more and more of who the Father is and what he wants to give to us. Of all that the Father has done, all that the Father is doing, all that the Father will do, and we'll see the anxiety get less and less. Now again, I don't, as we close this morning, I don't want to take lightly the anxiety that you may be feeling this morning. That I know for many of us, for some of us, that I say these things and you think, I'm not by any means saying if you do this, tomorrow you will be anxiety free. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm saying that for many of us, probably for all of us, this is going to be a lifetime process of fighting moment by moment, day by day to say, Father, I trust you. I need your help. You've provided for me. You will provide for me again. And God's grace is sufficient for the journey. His mercy is sufficient for the anxiety that keeps coming back again and again and again. It will not run out. His faithfulness will not run out. His trustworthiness will never run out. The fullness of his treasure will never run out. He is full of grace. He is full of mercy. He longs to help us to trust him and to live lives that are free and joyful in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the promise of um, joy that you give to us, of peace that you give to us, Lord. The promise that you will provide for us and care for us, that you love us. There's a depth of care and provision that you have for us. God, help us to rest in that. Help us by your strength, by the spirit that you have given to us to fight against the anxiety that, is, that riddles us at times, that is so present in our hearts and minds at times. God, we confess that to you. We need your help, and we trust that you will give us everything we need to take the next step of faith. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we close in song.